Explicaciones a ti Yo no te debo, chico Yo hago con mi cuerpo lo que me dé la gana Y tus prejuicios me los paso por la raja Muchas gracias por sintonizar, por estar hoy con nosotros. Se les agradece siempre el apoyo y que nos escuchen. Of course, thanks so much for joining us again. Today is going to be part one of what we're hoping will be like a three-part series. Mm -hmm. so Exactamente. Today and the next two episodes are all going to be focusing on immigration mm -hmm. from different lenses. And today is specifically going to be looking at immigration from the lens of black identity, Ajá. black Exacto. Latinx Exacto. identity. Sí, queremos hacer una serie de tres episodios en las cuales vamos a estar hablando de la inmigración, aunque el episodio de hoy va a estar específicamente enfocado en la inmigración de las personas negras, de los latinos, latinx negras. ¿Cómo ah. diría? Negrix. ¿Hm? Negrix. Negrix. Ne negrix. 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 De los latinos. Eh, negrix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is something I really wanted to talk about. And it goes back to some of what we were speaking to in our third episode ever in season one, where we kind of had this problem with Latinos for Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. right? Where there's this separation and grave misunderstanding that Latinos, Latinx people are not a part of Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. um, like they're separate from that. And therefore you would have to distinguish that this community that is somehow not a part of this is supporting mm -hmm. this movement, sí. even though that's untrue sí. because there's so many Black Latinx people And speaking to the tension that exists between Latinx people that don't identify as Black and Black people, period, where, you know, often I've heard Latinx people be like, well, why do we have to support that? We don't have to support them. It's not like they support us. You never hear them talking about immigration, Right. Sí. You don't hear them talking about ICE or detention centers. Sí. And that's what's really impacting our community. So if they're not going to support our things, why do we have to support yes. theirs? Mm -hmm. So, again, first and foremost, not even recognizing that theirs is ours mm -hmm. because black people are a part of our community. We're black and we know that that lack of the association and that lack of recognition comes from the media and how mm. anti-black Latin American media is. Claro. And even American media when they're portraying mm -hmm. Latinx people, you know, and how that's never shown. And then that trickles down from the internalized racism that a lot of us have and that coming from just white supremacy in mm -hmm. general, right? Exactamente. But in addition to that, it also goes back to this thing where like, for me, it's so hard to separate them anyway because they're not mutually exclusive things. We have so many immigrants who are black God. and we have so many immigrants who are black Latinx mm -hmm. people, folks who are documented and undocumented. Mm -hmm. 
So they're not separate things. And so I just wanted to speak a little bit to that. So to try to help bridge that that disconnect and that that myth that like BLM is one thing mm-hmm. and immigration is something else and that they're not affecting the same communities. Claro, claro. Right? So for starters, I've been doing a lot of reading on black immigrants and, you know, what there's a lot of information on are Haitian undocumented mm. immigrants. Sí. So for me, Haiti is a part of Latin America. I know mm-hmm. that everybody doesn't agree with that. Not all Haitians agree with that. Sí. Certainly not all other Latinx people agree with that. Mm-hmm. But for me, Haiti is a part of Latin America. They share an island with DR. It's really hard to separate what one culture is from the other because particularly on the border, there's such a melt, a melting pot, an exchange, you know, that has been there since they've been, they've existed as two separate nations. Mm -hmm. And they're always a part of the conversation for me. So starting with the fact that, you know, in the 70s, when a lot of Haitians were seeking political asylum in the United States, they were seeking to be, uh, you know, political refugees because of the horrible dictatorship that Papa Doc had, where essentially he was killing and disappearing anyone who disagreed with him, sí. as we've seen in many other Latin sí, American places and, in the world, right? <laughs> you start to have this influx of Haitians in South Florida, and particularly mm-hmm. Miami, that area, of course, because it's so sí. close. As you start to have more and more Haitian undocumented immigrants coming, seeking asylum, the people who are already there living in South Florida start to have a problem. Why? Mm. Because you have this influx of a black population Yeah, that was foreign, that was other. Mm-hmm. So they start to complain, make complaints to their mayors, and then the mayors start making complaints to, you know... Whoever's in charge. Going out. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes up to the president. And what we start to see is that because of all the complaints that are happening, political refugees from Haiti start to just get rejected, like, in huge numbers. They start to come and they're saying these stories about, you know, how they were raped, how they had family members who were killed, how the government is looking for them. You know, basically, they cannot go back. Wow. Because they're going to be killed and their life is really in danger. Um, in danger. Mm-hmm. And not only were they denied refugee status anyway, they start in mass just putting them into detention centers. Like wow. before the interviews, before anything like that, in a way that was unprecedented up mm-hmm. until that point. Because they knew they had in their head the idea that we already know that we don't want them. See. So for the most part, they're not going to be granted asylum anyway, but we need like a holding space so that we can send them right back, mm. basically, right? Eventually, you know, it was proven that this was really racist and that it, Haitians were basically were the only people coming here that were being treated in that way. And so a law said, no, you can't keep doing that. And so what Reagan's administration did was, okay, so that it's not racist and it's not particularly targeting just Haitians, this is going to start to be the new way that we process all immigrants starting wow. to come here. So already we began to see how that, <laughs> unfortunately, set up 
what we kind of know now mm-hmm. as current immigration procedure. Yeah, claro. Where you have all of these people, you know, we're not counting people that are already here mm-hmm. and that, you know, ICE just doesn't know about. But claro. folks who are coming to the country and directly being sent to detention centers fully with the intention of sending them back. Sí, right? So we have that sort of intersection and in ways that it's bleeding. I think even in the way that ICE treats people who would be targeted and at this point, it's largely Latinx communities and communities that are known to have immigrant populations, um, whether they be black or not. But we see also a lot of similarities between like what is happening with them as an undocumented person or just as a person that might be profiled because you seem like you could be an immigrant or you live in an immigrant community. Mm-hmm. You know, now we see that you have to carry papers with you sí. if you have citizenship. Because if not, if they do a raid and, you know, they take you and you can't prove that you have a social security number mm-hmm. or a birth certificate that's from here or, you know, the proper papers, then whether you're a citizen or not, you're going into that same system until you can prove that. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of just how African-Americans were treated when slavery was happening. You know, we know that we had states where slavery wasn't legal. So there did exist free black people. Mm -hmm. They existed. But in order to prove that you were free, you had to have the right papers. And... Even those papers could be contested. If someone looked at them and just said, no, I don't think these are real, real. Mm-hmm. they could snatch them from you. Now you have no papers, and now you're put back into a system mm-hmm. where you could possibly be going right back to a state, or you're already in a state where you know now you're being sold to somebody claro. just because, and a very arbitrary, just like, I don't believe you, or this isn't good enough kind of thing. So you have that kind of parallel And just the way that people start to be criminalized, you know, even after African-Americans were free, how it was like, okay, so technically you're not an enslaved person. Let's think about all the ways that we can put you right back into this system. Mm -hmm. So let's create all these stupid laws. Like if you're caught loitering, it's a crime. Mm -hmm. So if you're just standing around, if you're not working, if you're unemployed, Mm -hmm. it's a crime, right? (laughs) All these things were like, now we can lock you up. We know you don't have the money to pay bail, so somebody else is going to come and pay that bail for you, but now, until you can pay off that debt, you're essentially their slave again, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And it's the reason why we start to see that a lot of people have made the argument that there's a sort of pipeline from slavery to just being in prison, and I think detention centers are an extension Una of that de eso, claro. in many ways. So I guess before we get more into that, as someone who isn't undocumented but is a black Latinx immigrant, can you speak a little bit to your experience and just what that's meant for you living in this country? Bueno, primero que nada, yo una cosa que he notado durante todas estas conversaciones, documentales, cosas que he leído, sobre todo cosas que, que, que he visto en documentales y entrevistas y cosas así, eh, me he dado cuenta en que la división que hay entre lo que es la emigración y la emigración cuando se habla de los negros. Es decir, 
cuando se habla de migración, eh, me he dado cuenta que siempre se habla de la emigración latina, latinex, pero no se menciona a los negros de la comunidad latinex. Las personas que sí hablan de la emigración de los negros no incluyen a los negros latinos. Uh -huh. Es como una exclusión que hay de ambas partes, uh -huh. lo cual no debería ser así. Cuando se habla de la emigración, se debe hablar de la emigración en general, incluyendo a los negros. Entonces, cuando se habla de la inmigración latina, no se habla de los negros. Y cuando se habla de la inmigración de los negros, como es el caso de países de África o del Medio Oriente, cosas así, no se habla de los latinos negros. Siempre hay como una exclusión. Y hay personas que somos las dos cosas. Somos emigrantes y somos negros. Y enfrentamos consecuencias por ser esto. Es decir, no es igual un latino que sea de, de raza blanca a un latino que sea de raza negra. Los latinos existen, como mismo tú estabas hablando ahorita, procedimientos en los que la justicia tiene una forma de, de, de operar, como por ejemplo el perfil racial. Entonces, si tú tienes la mala suerte de ser una persona que la policía para por tu perfil racial afro y encima de eso, eres indocumentado, ya por ahí tienes todas las de perder. ¿Cuántas personas no hay de Panamá, de mi mismo país, de Cuba, de Honduras, que son personas negras de, de República Dominicana, que son negros, uh -huh. y la policía los para porque piensan que son afroamericanos o simplemente porque son negros, porque no les interesa a ellos si eres un negro de donde sea, eres negro y para ellos es un problema eso. Te paran por tu perfil racial y tú eres una persona sin documentos y eso es directamente para ICE. Donde te van a tratar muy mal, incluso peor que a un indocumentado que no es negro. Porque también de eso es una cosa de la que no se habla, de cómo se tratan a los indocumentados negros versus a cómo se tratan a los indocumentados que no son negros en los centros de detención. ¿Verdad? Pero bueno, yo no puedo hablar de lo que es la parte de la indocumentación, porque yo nunca he estado en un estatus de indocumentada en este país. Sí estuve en un estatus en el que estaba esperando por mi, por mi green card. Eh, durante ese tiempo no fui indocumentada porque los cubanos no nos acogemos a una cosa que se llama la ley de ajuste cubano, uh -huh. en, la cual, en la que tú estás en espera de, de, de la green card, es, tienes como un permiso de estancia en uh -huh. este país. Y si te detienen o te preguntan cualquier cosa, eso va a aparecer en el sistema. Tú eres cubano, tú muestras tus, tus papeles cubanos y no tienes ningún problema. Pero eso es un beneficio que tenemos solamente los cubanos. Uh -huh. right? Entonces, yo nunca estuve como indocumentada como tal, pero sí vi las consecuencias de ser emigrante y no tener papeles, por ejemplo, a la hora de estudiar. Cuando yo llegué a este país, que aún no tenía mi residencia, que comencé a estudiar inglés, mi papá tenía que pagar casi el doble del tuition en el curso de inglés donde yo estaba por no ser eh, residente del país. Después, incluso siendo residente del país, ya cuando empecé a estudiar en la universidad una carrera, también tenía que pagar más tuition. ¿Por qué? Porque ya era residente, pero no era ciudadana americana. Ahora soy ciudadana americana y pago lo mismo que paga cualquier otra persona que sea ciudadana americana. Pero viste como el estatus legal, even though yo no era ilegal, pero mi estatus legal impactaba mi economía, o en este caso la economía de mi padre, que era el que pagaba mis estudios, por no tener 
primero ganada Green Card y después ciudadanía americana. Entonces, por esa parte sí vi el impacto y la diferencia. Ahora, indocumentada como tal, nunca estuve eso, nunca he vivido lo que es el miedo ese de que te vayan a parar en la calle y te puedan mandar para un centro de detención. Uh -huh. Ahora, yo sí vivo la parte ya más social, no legal, pero sí social de lo que ser negro en un país racista significa uh -huh. y de lo que ser emigrante en un país de discriminación uh -huh. significa. Uh -huh. Porque en este país existen dos cosas que son inminentes, la discriminación y el racismo. La, el emigrante, incluso siendo blanco, enfrenta discriminación. Siempre. Por el simple hecho de ser emigrante, por el simple hecho de estar bajo un nivel de estatus social inferior, eh, ser más pobre, no tener el idioma, no hablar un inglés perfecto, todas esas cosas, todos esos estigmas que opacan la identidad de una persona que es emigrante. Especialmente emigrante latino, porque si eres emigrante europeo, como eres blanco, no enfrentas, algunos europeos son blancos, no todos, pero si eres un emigrante europeo, si eres de Albania, si eres de Italia, enfrentas a otro tipo de discriminación eh, y sobre todo la historia demuestra estas cosas, pero siendo emigrante latino, sin ser negro, enfrentas un tipo de discriminación que es socialmente te atrasa bastante. Entonces, a eso súmale el hecho de ser negra en un país racista. Y eso sí lo he enfrentado yo y sí lo he vivido en mi vida social diario. Te puedo poner muchos ejemplos en el trabajo en el que yo trabajaba antes, cómo me trataban, incluso desde el punto de vista salarial, por ser una persona emigrante y por ser, obviamente, negra y mujer. Te puedo decir ahora mismo, yo estoy en un proceso de buscar trabajo. Yo tengo, no, yo no diría más bien temor, pero yo me pongo a pensar cuánto puede afectar mi color de piel y mi acento al hablar en inglés en el hecho de que yo quiera encontrar trabajo. Porque la gente automáticamente, cuando te escucha hablando eh, con acento, te identifica como alguien que es inferior. Como que si no te puedes expresar bien o perfectamente como la gente está, están de expect you to, automáticamente te tildan como de que tienes un nivel intelectual inferior. Porque vienes de un país pobre, porque se sabe que la educación en los países pobres es inferior. Entonces ya automáticamente eso te coloca en un nivel de desventaja. Y encima de eso, cuando te ven siendo negro, ya también eso le coloca otro layer de estereotipo a lo que es tu imagen y a tu persona. Uh -huh. Entonces yo a veces me pregunto, ¿cómo puede influenciar el hecho de que sea hispana, mujer y negra a la hora de mi éxito profesional y los resultados de mi búsqueda de, de nuevas posibilidades y nuevas oportunidades en el campo laboral, ¿entiendes? A mí me jode mucho, right Cada vez que yo voy a hacer una entrevista, tenerme que poner súper, 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 lo más bonita que yo pueda, lo más presentable que yo pueda. Tratar de usar palabras que yo no usaría en mi vocabulario diario, para expresarme, simplemente para sonar más intelectual, para que 
mi imagen y mi acento no predominen y no opaquen, ¿no? ¿no? Uh -huh. Y no debería ser así, porque al final del día yo estudié, yo me preparé, no solamente en mi país, sino también en este, y tengo la capacidad y la inteligencia para desempeñar cualquier labor y cualquier rol en el que me ponga. Pero hay personas que por yo tener un acento o un cierto color de piel, no piensan así. Siempre nos van a colocar en un nivel de desventaja. Ah, pero es latina, ah, pero es negra. Mm, tú uh -huh. sabes, ellos no tienen las mismas posibilidades, ellos vienen de países subdesarrollados, su, su, su intelecto es menor, ¿entiendes? Cosas que algunas veces es verdad, pero yo también tengo un papel que prueba que yo estudié en este país. Uh -huh. so, no me juzgue por lo que estás viendo, sino por mi capacidad y por lo que estás leyendo en un papel uh -huh. y mi experiencia laboral, ¿entiendes? Y me jode mucho, me jode mucho, porque es prácticamente poniendo una cara de lo que no soy para agradar más, simplemente para que mi piel y mi acento no sean una barrera en mi éxito, ¿entiendes? Y eso está bien jodido. No, it is. I mean, I've definitely witnessed that being in this process of looking for work, you know, mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. It's really fucked up. But there are conversations that we have. Like, uh, what are you going to wear? Okay, how are you going to have your hair? Yeah. All right. Make sure that you look really friendly. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, Maya already has a little bit of a disposition that's a little more serious. <laughs> so in general, no matter what she looked like, you know, <laughs> that would be my advice. But on top of that, just being aware of what people see when they see her, not mm -hmm. knowing her. And that you have to kind of throw on all these extra things which is ridiculous, but you kind of have to play the game just so that you have the opportunity. Exactly. Or try your best to make mm -hmm. it so that these exterior things that you have no control over are not going to be obstacles exactly. to getting what you deserve. Mm -hmm. You know, even I myself, you know, have to think about how I present, how I look, but I don't have the same barriers when it comes to language and accent or anything like that because I was born here, you know? So that's not a part that I have to think about. The mm -hmm. presentation and what I look like, yes, but certainly not someone's going to judge me based on how I'm speaking. Exactly. Eh, I mean, maybe with code switching a little bit, <laughs> but, sí, you know, sí, 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 not claro. to the same extent at all. Y no debería ser así tampoco, you know? Mm -mm. And I think another experience that we've had together that showed me this intersection of being a black immigrant For Maya versus me, you know, being born here and having the experiences that I've had, which have been different, um, was we when we were in Miami, me and Maya had pulled aside. I sat on a random, like, chair that was in front of a building. They had a porch and a building. It looked mm -hmm. like, you know, some kind of public building. I sat there. We were talking about something that had happened, and the security guard came out, and... Uh, I was really upset in the moment. So I wasn't really paying attention to him. But he tells Maya, like, you just have to leave. This is private property. Okay. And then disappears. And so, um, you know, we continue talking. Maya's like, come on, let's go. But I'm pissed. I'm not really even thinking about it. It was like two in the morning or something like that. Mm -hmm. No one was around. Like, it wasn't bothering anyone. We were outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking outside. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that the little seat that we sat on mm -hmm. was on the porch of a building that otherwise was closed. Exactly. 
Anyway, he comes back a little bit more with an attitude and he said something with me. So we have an exchange of words and all of a sudden he gets really, really aggressive and he like pulls the seat out basically from mm-hmm. under me. Like if I hadn't gotten up quick enough, Jeez. I would have fell. And so this really big confrontation happens because now this guy is coming at me, mm-hmm. you know, this man <laughs> for no reason. I think Maya gets very scared of the confrontation because he says he's going to call the police and I'm like, call them, whatever, da, da, da. So she kind of like pulls me aside and we end up getting into this big thing because like I'm not finished basically with what I have to say to that motherfucker and Mm. she's getting in the way and I can see like the fear in her eyes and she stops and she's like, he said he's going to call the police. They're not going to pay attention to what we have to say, Mm. right? They're going to take his side. Like, and I could see like she was so scared and it kind of dawned on me in that moment. In Florida, especially. In, in Florida, of course, right? She just kept telling me, like, we're black. They're not going to care about us, you know? Mm-hmm. And it kind of dawned on me, like, oh, shit. Yes, that's true. But because I have the privilege of, one, being lighter skinned, and two, being an American, when I'm confronted with the police, and I think also because... uh the run-ins that I've had with the police, by and large, I've been able to, like, escape from because I have family who are police officers and I have the little, like, PBA card and stuff like that. You know, I wasn't scared for my life in that moment. I was just like, okay, you're going to call them and and what are you going to say? That you try to, like, attack me? Like, okay, so maybe I shouldn't have been sitting on the chair, but you're a grown-ass man and I wasn't doing anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to do? And Maya, from the perspective of someone who hasn't, really had experience with the police and therefore is only constantly seeing how the police treat black people on the media. Exactly. And so all the images that are flooding into her brain, all the people that she's literally seen be killed mm-hmm. because she's watched a video of it happening, you know, which I don't see that stuff, but I obviously read about it and hear about it. And everything that she's been shown living in this country where, you know, you're not safe as a black person period, from regular citizens, but especially when the police get involved, like, this extra level of fear of, like, it doesn't matter if we're in the wrong or not. Mm -hmm. Immediately, they're, you know, we can be attacked and this can go really sour. This can go sour very quickly, right? And so that was a little bit humbling for me to be like, oh, there's a lot of truth to that, but that's not necessarily the first thing that I was thinking of in that moment. Because I was so angry and, you know, because I've had a more mixed experience Mm -hmm. and I'm not an immigrant that's just seeing these images constantly, you know, that's not the first thing that comes to my head. Yo lo veo desde el punto de vista, si personas que no están haciendo nada, que no están haciendo nada, van caminando por la calle como le pasó a ese muchachito en la Florida. Y y ese tipo ni siquiera era policía. But that was a guy, yeah. Mm Él ni siquiera era policía. Eh, y, Y lo mataron. Entonces imagínate si hay un security llamando a la policía sí. y dando su versión de la historia, sí. aunque él esté en lo, en lo incorrecto, él está completamente incorrecto, yo para nada le doy la razón a él. ¿Tú crees que cuando él te jaló la silla yo no tenía deseo de meterle un piñazo y partirlo todo? Uh-huh. Pero no era eso, era que yo estaba pensando en lo que venía detrás de eso. Porque sin hacer nada él quería llamar a la policía. Yo estaba pensando, bueno, si le doy un puño... Peor la cosa, la policía va a llegar, nos van a arrestar. Lo menos que eso es que nos arresten. Uh-huh. Pero si las cosas se ponen muy, muy, muy feas right. y me dan un tiro, 
Me. después qué va a pasar con uh -huh. mi mamá con... uno piensa, por lo menos yo en todas esas cosas, no es que yo le tenga miedo a la confrontación, ni mucho menos a un come mierda yeah. además si te toca yo lo reviento pero yo estoy pensando en lo que viene detrás en las consecuencias de lo que pueda pasar si la policía llega ¿ves? y personas que no están haciendo nada han terminado con su vida ah, sí, sí. imagínate tú o una persona que esté dando una versión de que nosotros lo atacamos o cualquier cosa de esas van a llegar ya directo a matarnos ya no, mm -hmm. it wasn't unfounded at all. It's just in my anger, that's not the first thing I was thinking mm. of, you know? And claro, it, it just highlighted for me, like, oh, again, here's another way in where our lived experiences are, are different. Ahora mismo yo comencé a manejar y yo tengo un miedo terrible de que la policía me pare. Yeah. Miedo terrible, terrible a eso. Y, y es por todas estas cosas a las que uno se expone, historias que uno lee día a día. Imagínate, entonces yo me pongo ya desde el punto de vista de un indocumentado negro, imagínate si yo no tuviera papeles. El miedo fuera, vaya, to the power of ten. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what's happening and it's the conversation that's not being had. You know, we're not talking about black immigrants, even though mm -hmm. there are so many black immigrants, you know. But obviously, if you're undocumented, then the vulnerability mm -hmm. for you is way higher. And for the people who are undocumented and end up in that detention center system, a lot of the times it's because that they're black that they end up in that system to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. because these things can't be pulled away from each other. You can't just be an immigrant but not be black if you're a black immigrant. You can't just be black and not be an immigrant if you're a black immigrant, right? Um, there are statistics that show that in detention centers, black immigrants just have it harder. It, mm. it mirrors what we see in society. Exactamente. <laughs> es lo que te iba a decir. El, los negros siempre la tienen más difícil que el resto de la sociedad en donde quiera que nos ponga. En yeah. donde quiera que nos ponga. For black immigrants, they're the people that are being held longest in detention centers. They're the oh, people sí. that have the highest bails and bonds and therefore have the hardest time being let out because they have higher rates that they have to pay or that an attorney has to pay. They're six times more likely to be held in solitary confinement within the detention system, right? So that's already a fucking like psychological brain fuck to, mm. to be in jail or a detention center which are very similar exactly. you know aren't that different but then on top of that to be in solitary confinement to not have access to your family mm -hmm. an attorney any friends and you know to just be isolated so from everything about the family and the psychological it's part just the of light that. of the sun that's it right simple as that and then you know when you're looking at Black immigrants with criminal convictions, they're 76% more likely to be deported compared to 45% of the population overall. And mm -hmm. if they're Caribbean, that goes up to 80%. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about convictions, you know, I think anytime people think about criminality, your brain always goes to like the highest thing, a murderer, mm -hmm. you know, or like, I don't know, the, the drug king or something right when we're talking about criminal convictions often we're not talking about things that are even nearly that serious mm -hmm. we're talking about people with very 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 minor drug offenses people who are often almost always like non-violent no crime that they've ever committed is violent we're talking about people 
who were pulled over for a speeding ticket. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people who were pulled over and we found like an open bottle in their car. Like that's happened to my own dad, you know, yeah. like coming back from a party, there's Coquito in the car. He mm-hmm. just didn't put it in the trunk. He gets pulled over and guess what? Now it's a big thing because he has an open bottle in his car. Um, You know, we're talking about really, really small infractions. Vandalism, which can be like graffiti, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, loitering even in some places. They'll pick you up for that. Whatchamacallit, the subway fare, evading subway fare. Like that's a huge thing, which now I heard, I don't know if it was de Blasio. I think it's de Blasio. Who, or it might be Cuomo, but I think it was the Blasio who decided that that was going to be the new thing. They were expanding so that like now 600 police officers are there to enforce fucking ticket fare evasion, not paying $2 and what is it? 50 cents, 75 cents, mm-hmm, 75. <laughs> shit like that, where now you're pulled into a system. The police and ICE in many, many states are working hand in hand. So, like, whatever they have access to, ICE also has access to. And if they see that you're undocumented, they're, like, handing you right over. And even for people who aren't convicted, people who are picked up for shit that they didn't fucking do, right? Mm -hmm. And they realize, oh, we have the wrong person or whatever. So you're not even convicted for anything or they let it go. But now, who cares? You're in the system and we're going to pass that information on to ICE. And so there's a sort of pipeline where... Because they're being racially profiled and stopped for being black. And we definitely saw that when we had stop and frisk for many, many years in New York City where the thinking was, well, if we can stop like people who are doing lower level crimes, then uh, I think it was called like the, the broken windows policy or some shit like that. Um, you know, then really what we're doing is stopping higher level criminals from existing if we can get it early so they were profiling very young quote-unquote suspicious looking people which was almost always 13 to 26 27 year old black and brown men Mm -hmm. and you know they were able to literally like stop you just because they felt like you looked suspicious it didn't matter where you were coming from you could be coming out from school your house the bodega anywhere we're just going to stop and put our hands on you and search mm-hmm. you, you know? And if we find anything, well, that's it. <laughs> we're scooping you up, and now you're in that system. They were particularly doing this in immigrant communities and in brown communities and in black communities. So, you know, it wasn't like they were doing it across New York City, Trishy. all the boroughs, all the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It's just the quote-unquote bad ones. <laughs> that they were attacking. So unfairly, you have all these people who are being cycled into a system and it's making it seem like there's more criminals, but really it just so happened that you were just profiling more people <laughs> in a neighborhood. And at best, but it's not really at best, you have all of these people who are like consistently and constantly being harassed. Mm-hmm. And even the PTSD that that presents you with, mm-hmm. you know? Porque es que es obvio, los, los barrios pobres siempre son los barrios que más vigilancia policial tienen. Entonces, las personas indocumentadas que casi siempre viven en estos barrios, porque son los lugares donde pueden pagar su renta, donde, mm-hmm. pueden, donde pueden vivir, ¿no? Yeah. Porque los pueblos donde pueden, they can eh, afford it, eh, son víctimas de esto. Y entonces, 
eh, es de lo que siempre se habla cuando se tienen estas conversaciones. Eh, se siempre se habla de la, el exceso de policía y de vigilancia en los barrios pobres, lo cual no solamente desencadena eh, que estas personas sean más propensas a ir a la cárcel, sino que también las personas indocumentadas que viven en estos barrios sean más propensos a ser enviados a centros de detención de ICE. Eh, esas son las consecuencias de tener tanta policía, tanta, tanta, tanta vigilancia en los barrios, en los barrios pobres. Y, y es una pena porque los emigrantes vienen aquí a, a luchar y a trabajar y a contribuir con la, con la economía y siempre se ven como un, una carga para el país, cuando casi siempre es todo lo contrario. No puedes ser emigrante y una carga para el país cuando ni siquiera eres legal. Eres legal. No puedes aplicar para ningún beneficio de lo que este país da. No puedes aplicar para food stamps si eres indocumentado. No puedes aplicar para financial aid. No puedes aplicar para section aid. No puedes, no puedes hacer absolutamente nada. Y también yo he oído mucho esa eh, narrativa de que no, los emigrantes no aportan a la economía porque no pagan taxes. Eso es mentira. No lo pagará de su sueldo, pero en definitiva el sueldo de un emigrante casi siempre es muy poco. Mm. Pero cuando van a una tienda a comprar... En esa tienda pagan taxes. Cuando van a un restaurante a comer, en ese restaurante pagan taxes. Sí. Todo lo que un emigrante consuma en este país está pagando taxes por ellos. Entonces los emigrantes sí están contribuyendo con los taxes desde ese punto de vista, en el punto de vista del consumo. When I was an undergrad, I was a research assistant for a professor of mine, uh, Robin Rodriguez, and she was doing a book on immigration in New Jersey after 9-11 and, you know, the effects on undocumented immigrants in particular, uh, how, like, the expansion of homeland security and all that stuff ended up affecting people. And as cities realized that because jails were privatized, they could make more and more money based on having bodies in jails, they started to really crack down on their undocumented population just so that they could have bodies in their detention centers that they were getting paid for, right? So they started doing that. And they there was one city that announced like this massive sort of like, yeah, we're really gonna crack down because of all the same shit that you just said, you know, they're taking jobs away and they're blah, blah, blah. So they do and They were stopping people for ridiculous things, having too many people on a car, you know, doing little raids in areas where people were working and stuff like that. And the harassment and the fear got to be so high that people just started leaving. They left. They picked up their stuff. They were like, fuck this. We're going to go. Um, and they moved to other cities, I guess. I don't know where they went, but apparently it got to the point where... So many of the people who were undocumented, who were living there, had left that the city's economy completely tanked. Them exiting meant that the local economy went completely down. And, you know, the mayor had to, like, issue an official statement, like, please come back. We're not going to do that anymore, this and that, just to try to get them back to the original place that they were in because it was so much of an effect and an impact, a negative impact for that city when they left sí. because that's how much they actually contribute to the economy and the community at large, you know? Claro. So anyway, I feel like I did a little detour, but you just have this pipeline where like there's not really a way to evade and you have so many more eyeballs on you and 
and so many other people kind of working in tangent to make it so that like you can't just live here peacefully. Exactamente. Basically, as a black immigrant, as a black Latinx immigrant, right? All of those things, like they're Mm -hmm. not different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I heard somebody the other day talking about how BLM, we hear that and it's like Black Lives Matter. And yes, that's true, but that's just a little piece. What we really need to focus on is like the Black liberation movement, right? Different L and M, because that is more inclusive of all Black people. So if we're looking at the Black liberation movement versus just Black Lives Matter, then it opens it up so that all of the people that, in my opinion, are sort of being missed by the masses Mm -hmm. when we're going out and we're protesting are included too. So we're not just talking about Black, cis, African-American men, Mm -hmm. which obviously are targeted and need to be uplifted and their rights need to be fought for, but they're not the only people who are being targeted. We have Black immigrants being targeted. We have Black women being targeted. We have Mm -hmm. Black queer people being targeted. We have Black trans people being targeted. Plus, you know, a bunch of other things I'm probably missing, Mm -hmm. but you have all these other people that are sort of being swept to the side Mm -hmm. because when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, we're not looking at black people and their liberation as a whole, Mm -hmm. we're sort of tunnel visioning on just like black men and Mm -hmm. police brutality against black men and more specifically African-American men, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think the irony of that is that two of the three founders of Black Lives Matter in the United States are queer women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even just that queerness is not centered in any way and that women are not centered in any way Mm -hmm. is ironic and in one case at least you know patrice's partner is a trans person a genderqueer person so even transness that it's not centered all of it it's interesting but you have anything else to say just to close this up si yo creo que a mi lo que yo lo que creo es que tiene que haber debería existir menos división En esto de época final, el opresor es uno solo. Y habemos muchas personas luchando contra ese opresor, pero no tenemos un impacto grande porque no hay unión. Mm-hmm. Y ahí, en, en, en eso es en lo que estamos mal. Estamos bien porque estamos luchando en contra de algo, pidiendo nuestros derechos. Estamos abriendo conversaciones incómodas e importantes mm-hmm. y abriendo los ojos de una vez y por todas. Lo único que estamos... Eh, que no estamos llevando bien, en este caso es la unión en contra del mismo mal. Porque al final, negros, latinos, latinos, blancos, eh, latinos en general, eh, emigrantes de todos los lugares del mundo, incluyendo África, Latinoamérica, el Caribe, todos estamos en una lucha en contra del mismo monstruo, que es la supremacía blanca en los Estados Unidos. Y, and xenophobia. y la xenofobia y el yeah. racismo y todas esas cosas, pero al final salen de la misma cosa, mm-hmm. la supremacía blanca. Y todos estamos en contra de este sistema de opresión. Lo único que nos falta para ser indestructibles y tener mucho más fuerza y más impacto y más efecto es la unión. Es lo que pienso yo. Absolutely. And part of that is realizing that we are actually in the same struggle and that you can't parcel out things. Because if we're not all supporting each other because we don't understand that, then 
we lose, we're less powerful. Exactamente. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. We will catch you on the next one. Chao, chao, chao. Y síganos en Instagram, Latinas en Quarantine. Bye. Bye.